So I'm here with Aaron Hunt of Transgressive Theater Opera. You're the um, artistic or producing artistic director, correct? Yes. That okay. means I'm in trouble if it goes wrong. <laughs> and if it goes beautifully, no one knows who I am. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Transgressive Theater Opera is uh, putting on a production of uh, Minotti's The Console as part of a benefit concert uh, for immigrant relief um, in September. And um, before we get to that, I just want to talk a little bit. Uh, I, if you could maybe give people a little bit of background on transgressive theater opera. Can I call it like TTO? Is yes, that okay? Yes, I do. Right. Okay, T-T-O. Okay. I can't T- type that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about the background of TT-O and, and your role in it? Sure. Um, there is a very vibrant movement in Chicago called the Storefront Opera Scene. Mm -hmm. And there are now, I don't know which year is it, nine perhaps, companies who do the sort of work that um, gives gives connection with Chicago's original storefront theater scene. Mm -hmm. So in found spaces, usually with a, a small coterie of friends and artistic acquaintances, if you will, usually means that the performers are frequently involved with the backstage work, with accounting and, and uh, sets and props and that sort of thing as well. And then maybe we'll work in the season and, you know, occasionally on the stage. Not always. Um, the idea of that is to use the talent pool in Chicago to bring, first of all, contemporary works. And, and a lot of these companies do really focus on contemporary works in English. Um, where you can have the audience right in front of you, or around you, where you can perform around the audience, where the audience is sat in the middle of the stage. To give it a more immersive experience, uh, to bring new people to the art form, this is a, a time when a lot of new arts consumers, media consumers, entertainment consumers expect to see something that's a little more perhaps uh, cinematic, Mm -hmm. something that looks more like something they would see on their computer, something that isn't so far away. Lyric's a beautiful place, and those people are down there somewhere, and you can hear them. (laughs) They sound great, and perhaps they're wearing blue. Uh, (laughs) Nothing like that would be happening in the storefront scene. Uh So uh, also the storefront scene looks to take works in the standard rep, for my money, why are we going to do the standard rep if Chicago Lyric is going to do it? Right. Well, then to look at it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important, too, if we can make uh, something that's standard uh, a, a relevant artistic experience for both the aficionado who want to see it, you know, a different take. You know, answer, yeah. answer it with today's headlines. Mm-hmm. Or, um, or who or who are brand new audience members but are not likely to put up with four mm-hmm. hours of handle right. and all the rest are in Italian. Yeah. They might not show up. Uh-huh. So with that in mind, uh, about 2015, uh, we started um, at Transgressive um, in a little train station up on the, the Purple Line up in Evanston, which I don't think is uh, actually a performance space now, but just starting to do things with the audience really close. We started with a lot of very contemporary pieces, uh, usually often in their Chicago premiere. Uh, and we have since expanded to doing some, some of the standard rep, but completely reworked, perhaps with the rest it's turned into dialogue, uh, perhaps with you know, some things translated and doing some super title work, mm-hmm. um, doing a lot of scenes concerts and that sort of thing, taking things, we like to talk a lot about, um, a lot about diversity in terms of 
sexuality, lifestyle, um, national origin, and we look to see if we can speak to that with a work that might be more established. So for instance, uh, the, the Arthur Sullivan Cox and Box operetta, which was originally written for three men, and two of them, it seemed, were married to the same woman, mm-hmm. and that is part of the plot. And uh, we used three women instead in male drag, mm-hmm. and the misogyny was so in everyone's face that <laughs> it was interesting to watch the audience decide whether or not it was funny. Yeah. And I have to believe that they went away then talking about it, and isn't that what we're doing? Right, 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 right. Very cool. Um, one of the things uh, that's on, like, as part of your mission statement uh, on your website, um, just to quote it directly, um, as the line between theater and music, or between, I think I meant to write opera. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the line between opera and music theater continues to blur. A new lyric theater is emerging unhampered by labels and preconceived notions of ownership. Um, can you clarify a little more what you mean by this to somebody who might not be as familiar with um, the traditions or labels of opera, music theater, lyric theater, etc.? Sure. I- I'd love to. Um, we saw the beginning of this switch, I don't know exactly when, I was a mere child, <laughs> maybe 30 years ago when opera companies started to do musical theater pieces. Mm-hmm. And perhaps it was some reworking, perhaps going back to the original score, perhaps looking at what might have been the original orchestration instead of something that was pared down for perhaps a Broadway theater. But there began to be a crossover sort of relationship. This happened with popular music too. Mm-hmm. Uh, more classical musicians would sing pop music as well, or they'd do cabaret, and maybe they'd tell people that they'd had classical training and maybe they wouldn't, <laughs> and maybe their voice teacher maybe never knew they did cabaret. Yeah. But people started to expand in that sort of direction. At the same time, opera goers started to demand a different kind of experience. Mm-hmm. They wanted some something that they could connect to directly in terms of the people they were seeing. There was more of a, even more, if you can believe it, a conversation about whether or not something should be in the language of the, the majority of the people who would be attending, right. or if it should be in the original language. Mm-hmm. That became a big conversation as well. And then we started seeing theater companies do some opera work. Mm-hmm. And that changed things too. And then we have Cirque du Soleil, these amazingly classically trained singers, and people don't even think about that, of course, because they're watching the spectacle, but that, yeah. you know, that that music, that sound is contributing to that experience. So what we have now, especially in Chicago, I mean, this is such a cutting edge arts town. And mm-hmm. w- when we say we're gritty, we're not kidding. I mean, <laughs> we, we will bring a bucket of gravel to the theater. <laughs> and throw it at everyone. A- absolutely. Here's your grit. Um, so if it's not real, people won't go. And mm-hmm. uh, there's an expectation. And especially for the audience members who attend both classical music and they go to opera and they go to the theater as well. Maybe they like some operetta on the side. They don't want them to be completely different experiences in terms of, can I go to this yeah. and, and walk in and feel like, okay, I, I get this. I'm, I'm here. Yeah. I'm connected to this. Not spend the first act trying to figure out what happened to them. <laughs> so I see this and I think a lot of people do this crossover world as giving uh, the opera world better acting, better is a funny word, but um, (laughs) 
acting that perhaps is singers who have more training, yeah. singers who are more comfortable in their body, they have more physical training that's going on. Not for so much like singers who kind of act. Exactly. Or park and bark, that kind of thing. That's out. <laughs> that's, you know, there's still a little bit of that going on, but we try not to talk about it. Um, so, yes, that's definitely going on in the opera world. And then we have also in the theater world, there's begun to be a, a little more... Um, a higher comfort comfort level, at least in some ways, with a, a singer who is classically trained mm -hmm. and could absolutely get up and and do opera, mm -hmm. like Kelly O'Hara, for instance, on right. Broadway, who can go sing at the Met, <laughs> and, and she can fill the hall, mm -hmm. and you can strap a mic to her head, and she can do that exactly, <laughs> and you don't notice a difference. Mm -hmm. She's learned those two techniques. Yeah. And now we have something that's more vibrant that I like to call lyric theater, uh, and Maybe I picked that up somewhere and maybe I made it up, but I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I, I like to think that now the audience can have an experience that maybe isn't exactly called opera. Yeah. Or maybe it isn't exactly called musical theater. Now we have people right here in Chicago, of course, I'm sure we came up with it first, who do opera improv. This is fantastic. I mean, and the audience perhaps will tell them, that we want to hear about this story today. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful thing. It's very freeing. Yeah. Very cool. Um... So um, I want to ask about um, this specific event that's coming up in September, um, Giancarlo Minotti's The Console. Um, can you tell people a little bit about this opera and um, kind of what led to the decision to put on this production? Sure, absolutely. I'd love to. So let's see. On September the 7th, we are doing a concert reading of Minotti's The Console. And that's at 7.30 at the Ebenezer Lutheran Church Auditorium. That's at Ashland and uh, Foster, basically, mm -hmm. right there in that block. How do we make a response as artists to what's going on in our world right now? I think our history says that we write about it. We, we, we sing about it. We, we talk about it from an artistic perspective, as everyone does when you read the news headlines and then you try to engage in, in a conversation, you bring your experience to that conversation. Yeah. This is me, this is where I grew up, the, these are my friends, and this is how I can talk about this. Artists vote with their art. Yeah. They have conversations with their art. And I think we can see all over the country, in every sort of art form, artists trying to decide, how do I talk, quote unquote, about what's going on right now, yeah. and my feelings about it, because that's what I do. This, this is how I put myself out there. This, mm -hmm. is, this is how I engage with the world. So when you're looking at theater productions right now and at opera productions right now, um, how many cozies do you need? And <laughs> no, nothing bad about cozy. We just did it a couple years ago. Um, reworked severely, <laughs> but we did it. Dump, you know, absolutely, you know, stripped and misogyny cut out and wonderful. <laughs> it was great fun. I'm not sure that there was a plot, but it was terrific. Um, what was was a different plot. Um, <laughs> how do we answer what's going on? Well, this thing about the way that this country welcomes and then shuns, sometimes at different times and sometimes at the same time, yeah. people who want to come to this country, people who need to leave the country that they're in, this is not the first time that this has happened. So this particular composer, Giancarlo Minotti, uh, actually who, who was an immigrant to the United States, his mother brought him here, I believe, to attend Curtis, uh, the Curtis Institute uh, when he was still very young from Italy. Um, he was 
an active composer, but towards the beginning of his career, after World War II, when there was a, a, a great deal of consternation in this country about people who sort of needed to leave where they were, and this seemed to be the operative place for them to go. We kept saying that our arms were wide open, but then they would have to go through a lot of red tape, and people died while they were waiting, and, yeah. and it's shocking, but, you know, that, that horrible thing happens again. So his response to that was to, well, first of all, he wanted to make a movie, and he had this plot that he laid out in a nonspecific European country um, where um, the husband in this family had joined some sort of organization that made the police unhappy. So he was going to have to flee the country, and he was going to cross, quote-unquote, illegally over the border because there was no way that they were going to let him out, quote, legally. So he needed asylum. he instructs his family then to go get visas because there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to leave, quote, legally, and that he will join them then. Mm-hmm. This allows him to talk about all of these different people who end up at this consulate together, how their stories are all completely different and all the same in so many sad ways. Mm-hmm. I began to be familiar with this opera years ago in college. I mean, I, it certainly had been around for more than 20 years at that point, but uh, I became aware of it for lots of different reasons. I'm a big Minotti fan. Uh, (laughs) When I was a a young opera person and most of my training was classical, uh, Minotti was a way for me to come to more contemporary music. I could walk away with a melody and then a little bit of an understanding sometimes about what was going on harmonically Mm -hmm. when I was still just a a baby opera person. (laughs) So he, he was a great, sort of a great way for me to get in. I was also fascinated by the fact that this piece premiered on Broadway and had a very, very acceptable, long, enthusiastic Broadway run first. I I believe I have read that he tried to place it in an opera house and nobody wanted it and he thought, okay, well, here's where I'm going to put this. And again, there's, you know, that crossover thing. Some places it's spoken. A lot of uh, places in the score, Strechstimme, most definitely. I mean, it's just going in and out of the singing voice. Yeah. And it was very acceptable to a New York audience who wanted to hear about this topic because it was absolutely on their, on their headlines. It was mm-hmm. on their newspapers. So this is our response to say, here's, here's what we see is going on, and... This is a way that we can talk about it that's already out there, that's, that's acclaimed. It's, it, he won a Pulitzer for this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very important work. And we can also say it's happening again. <laughs> yeah. Look, look this has right. happened before. It's happening again. Exactly. Here, here's your history. And it, it is our history. Yeah. So we have, we, have to, we have to own it. We have to know it. And we have to own it. Yeah. It's also an opportunity then for us as a company, and there's a lot of community involvement with this. I mean, some of the, a lot of the singers are involved in other storefront opera companies in Chicago. And they sing with the, the, you know, they sing with the lyric and they sing in the symphony chorus. I mean, these are people who are very well connected. Mm-hmm. And several real uh, activists, too, involved with the production who are also classical musicians. So it's a very, very exciting thing to look at it and say, can we raise some money? Yeah. And we'll raise the money we can raise and we're going to make a contribution of some kind. And we, we hope it can be $3 million. $3 million. It's not $3 million. <laughs> we're, we are happy to stand up and say, we did this thing mm-hmm. and come and join with us to the community, to, the, to, all of the, to a, a large swath of communities. Come and join with us, sit with us in the auditorium and listen to this story and just feel that, feel that gut reaction in the room 
where we're all connected to this story, no matter what our prep was or where we come from, yeah. where, what, how we're bringing ourselves to this conversation in the room, it's all going to be that conversation. Yeah. And we think that's very valuable. We found an organization in Chicago that we can make contributions to and a national organization as well. So Ebenezer Lutheran Church, where we're actually giving the performance, has a refugee support program. Oh, excellent. And uh, we have actually, we sometimes see those folks when we're in rehearsal or whatever, they're coming and going from classes or meetings. Yeah. So it's a way to actually involve that direct community, both for that church and for the, the surrounding neighborhoods. And we also are giving money to the National Immigrant Justice Center. They're doing such incredible work and frequently on your television, if people want more information or they need services, that is the first go-to mm -hmm. in a national tapestry for, for them to uh, reach out to. So we wanted to talk about this. We wanted to find a way to engage the audience. We wanted to find a way to bring everybody into the same place and have that feeling and have that conversation. And then we wanted to help. Do you feel like um, performing the console um, is uh, a, a continuation of the identity that TT-O um, has already been building since 2015? Or, or do you feel like this changes the direction of it at all? or? I mean, how do you feel like it fits into what you've already been doing? Sure. This is the first time that we've done a benefit for an organization. And the first time that I have really understood that some of my classical music colleagues have this other thing that they do, which is I'm very involved politically in this thing. And it's not always something you necessarily talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Although I hope people are talking more and more about that now. <laughs> yeah. We need to be talking about everything right now. Uh, so this might be something that we do more in the future uh, because it's going well. It's, we have a lot of excitement about the event. We have amazing people involved. So this could be something that we look at in the future. This is a continuation of a concert arm of our productions. So um, the first thing that we did that was sort of in this realm, mm -hmm. sillier, um, there are a million incredibly talented um, mezzo-sopranos, contraltos, um, folks who sing in the alto range <laughs> who uh, were constantly saying to me, well, when are you going to produce something with 85 mezzos in it so that we can have parts? <laughs> and uh, shame on opera. <laughs> mezzos are fre frequently relegated to the mother or the witch yeah. or someone who dies very soon. And you, sure, there's Carmen and Delilah, but that's about it. They're Every, outliers. Exactly. Yeah. So we actually gave a concert that was all alto rap. Oh my God. And all sorts of different, you know, comic stuff to all the way to Wagner. And uh, it was very exciting to see all those people come together and to present that and give the audience a chance to say, okay, you're not going to find this anywhere else. Mm -hmm. This is a specific event. The next year, no, two years after that, we produced a Lehar concert. Uh, and Lehar was a very fine composer of operetta, but his art song rep is fantastic and nobody knows it mm -hmm. nobody many people are not aware <laughs> and people think of him as coming from a certain part of the of the world and he actually didn't come from there so his art songs are written in different languages German oh and Hungary and German German and Hungarian and French mm -hmm. he actually was born in Hungary oh so people don't think of him that way they think of him as a German uh -huh. you know all his great operatic successes were there They're like he must be German <laughs> right no well yeah kind of I mean he's German in an immigrant sort of way mm -hmm. so one of our 
one of our colleagues had actually, this was a research project of hers. She mm-hmm. wanted to know about Liszt's art songs. She came about them somewhere. She's also a composer, so she's always looking into music. Right. And um, she came to me and said, somebody needs to be singing this. Mm-hmm. So we were ab- able to look at a program, set it up, and uh, blessedly she did you know, the, the, the work for us in terms of finding the rep, helping us to find the right singers for that rep because mm-hmm. she had been immersed in the program and uh, then we did an outreach to those communities in Chicago the Hungarian community the the French community the German community and said we're gonna do this Mm -hmm. it's all one composer so we can have this mutual experience with this composer and we can listen to it in each other's languages so if I look in terms of the arc of that concert series that we have going within our regular productions this is sort of another step in the same direction yeah yeah um, and I think it's it's also really important just because I you know I'm a musician. Basically, everyone I know is a musician. <laughs> um, and I think, at least from my own perspective, I I feel like there's sort of a, a paralysis that happens, a sense of paralysis when something terrible is happening. And there's something terrible happening kind of all the time uh, right now. And and when you're a musician and you're not necessarily you don't feel like you have a direct way necessarily of contributing to you know whatever effort there is to to help uh right the ship yes <laughs> um it, it, you can feel a little bit helpless and i think sometimes it, it it it's hard to think of a way that you yourself can can really help make things better and i i think this benefit is one way that people in music people in the arts feel like they can actually do something um, and also their audiences. <laughs> uh, can you tell people um, a little specifically kind of how they can contribute as part of this, this benefit concert? Absolutely. So what we're doing is we, general admission, it's the great thing about this auditorium space at, at Ebenezer is that it's completely open and we can put the chairs wherever we want to and make whatever space seems to fit the occasion. So we're going to do a general admission, which is what we always do. There's really no front row seat because the people are all around you. Uh, So general admission, we're doing $20, but we are also, we have our tickets set up so that if people want to um, actually purchase a ticket for $50 or $100, they can. And we're doing those through brown paper tickets. And let me see where that magical address is that I should have right at my fingertips. And I know I do, and I will find it here in a minute. So we're doing that, and we also have, um, we also have in addition to that, uh, on our website, Mm -hmm. on Transgressive Theater Opera's website, we also have a donate button. You know, every three minutes, you should see a donate button on any nonprofit's website. (laughs) On every single page. (laughs) Life has to be that way. (laughs) Um, So that people can also donate directly. Mm -hmm. And as long as they earmark the funds for immigrant relief, we will see that they don't flow into the general budget. Some people want to give an amount. They don't want to give an amount that's specifically, you know, 20, 50 or 100 dollars. If you want to give three dollars, that's great. Go to the website, kick it in. Make sure that we know that that's what that's for. If you can't make the concert, but you want to join us in some way, yeah. that, that's a wonderful thing to do. And your website is transgressivetheater-opera.org, is that dot correct? .org, that's absolutely right. And how is it that I could possibly still be looking for that's the okay. brown paper tickets link? 
Is the is the link at your website? It is at the website. It might be the easiest way yeah. for people to find it, right. I'm thinking. And then we have a Facebook page too. Excellent. Which we keep very busy. And th there is a connection there as well. I, I believe it's the console benefit concert um, dot brown paper tickets dot com. I mm -hmm. believe that's it. Excellent. Um, and so you guys have Facebook. You have, uh, do you have Instagram or Twitter? We have Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, I am, um, I grew up in the 60s. <laughs> And uh, I, I have Instagram and Twitter now, and uh, I, I'm attempting to twit and uh, Insta something. And uh, luckily, the storefront opera community is filled with young people. And uh, people, you know, now I have two generations behind me. And that helps with the passion of this whole thing, too. And that helps me never, you know, go about my life in some sort of a, a placid way. Because, Certainly. of course, our, our younger people, they're seeing everything in a very different way through their eyes. And they're not quiet. <laughs> and thank God. Thank God they're not quiet. So, absolutely. They're, they're wonderful. And that, that helps us with our passion. Excellent. Um, so, uh, just to remind people, this is happening 7.30 p.m. Saturday, September 7th at Ebenezer Lutheran Church. Um, you can check out all the details. You can revisit all the details of this event um, at transgressivetheater-opera.org. And theater is the R-E, not the E-R. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a mistake I would make, so I'm just assuming other people will make it. Um, <laughs> but um, you, can, you can buy tickets there. You can also donate uh, if you want to earmark, earmark your donation for this particular benefit or just, you know, donate to um, Transgressive Theater Opera in general um, <laughs> in the future. Would we be all right with that? Yeah, yeah. Like, they'll accept your donations. That's fine. Um, we'll help you if we can. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find somewhere to put it. Um, is there anything else you want people to know about this performance on the 7th? We're really hoping that this will be be connected in some very specific ways to uh, the elected, elected officials' offices in this area. We'd like to see aldermen come out mm -hmm. and hear what we're doing. We are hoping that those pockets of government, our local government, will be involved in this. And we'd like that to be an opportunity also for our audience to engage with them yeah. and for them to say, I'm here, I'm paying attention, and that's why you should know that I'm on your side. Yeah. So we're hoping, you know, for a very wide cross section of folks around here who need to be talking. Yeah. Excellent. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate it.